together. And let's turn in our Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 this morning. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. If you're with us today without a Bible, there's men coming up the aisles right now with Bibles, and just flag them. They'll get one into your hands, and it'll be marked for our passage here today. So you can hear the word, but read it as well. And if you don't own a Bible, please make that Bible a gift from the Lord to you today. Uh, just a reminder, on Sunday nights, we go through the Bible, Genesis to Revelation, and uh, currently studying uh, the book of Acts. We'll do that this evening at 6 o'clock. Each of you are invited to that as well. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18, a single verse. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much, as we always thank you, but it just seems like week by week um, we just grow in our awe of your word, how perfect it is, how exact it is, a perfect match for our need, this wonderful expression of you and your heart toward us. And we pray, Lord, that you would open your word up to us today and speak to us through it. We really are glad that you're a speaking God, how we need a speaking God, the project that each of us is. And we pray that in your love and your grace and even in your firmness to speak to us this morning through your word. And we ask for this work of your Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. This week I intended upon continuing our series on Sunday morning having to do with um, the book of Proverbs, our uh, looking through it as the various themes and, uh, uh, of subjects in the book of Proverbs. But then Thursday night came and I found myself, my heart strongly turned toward the subject of Thanksgiving. And of course anybody might say, well of course you did. Um, it's Thanksgiving week, but it's more than that in, in a way that I've learned to uh, try and recognize it as a way that maybe the Lord is uh, speaking uh, to me. And so uh, this morning I want to talk about thankfulness and just explore its beauty, its reality in our lives a little bit. And maybe it's just for me. Maybe uh, the Lord turned my heart Thursday night toward it so that I could listen to myself for the next 40 minutes and you could provide some context uh, for all of that. But I don't think that's the case at, at all. I think God wants to use this time this morning to kind of prime the pump for a week-long immersion into the subject and the reality of thanksgiving in our lives. So the message this morning will not have a, a proper conclusion to it. You'll have a sense that it's open-ended, and that's very much uh, deliberate, not in the sense that it's manufactured, but just in the sense of what I think the Lord wants to do so that we can take the message on uh, into the week and into Thanksgiving Day and uh, allow the Holy Spirit to continue to speak to us on this important subject. To me, Thanksgiving Day is the greatest of the non-religious holidays that we celebrate in the United States. It is second only, a distant second, 
but second only to the Christian holidays of Christmas and Easter or Resurrection uh, Sunday. And Thanksgiving Day is a day that's set aside not only to kind of eat a, a meal, a dinner meal that's larger than the one that we do on most days and to be uh, with family, but it's a day that was set aside by our forefathers and uh, to use again uh, the word immerse, to immerse ourselves as a nation at least one day out of the year into this great reality and this great subject and emotion experience of thanksgiving. The celebration of Thanksgiving Day has been a tradition in our nation, one form or another, going all the way back to the pilgrims in the year 1619, when the first Thanksgiving was celebrated to give thanks to God for uh, the survival of the pilgrims in that very, very brutal uh, winter of that year. Uh, President George Washington was the first to issue a proclamation uh, making Thanksgiving holiday a national celebration. He did that in 1789. But it wasn't until 1941 that Congress then passed a law and uh, making the fourth Thursday in November a legal holiday. And that might be uh, seem uh, insignificant history for some of us in the room, but I say it because uh, I wonder uh, today in our modern nation, if it were left up to us and not to our forefathers, left up to us, if Thanksgiving Day hadn't already been made law by previous generation, whether we would be so convinced of the importance of it or the necessity of thanksgiving and gratitude in the human soul, uh, that we would set aside a day to recognize it's important and, and the virtue of thanksgiving as a nation. But be that as it may, uh, the, the fact that uh, presently Thanksgiving Day is typically framed by a very busy week leading up to it, as many of us are uh, endeavoring to cram five days of work into three days, and then given the fact that the Good Friday, uh, or not the Good Friday, but the Black uh, Friday sales uh, begin uh, as soon as Thanksgiving, the moment it's over, at 12.01, uh, uh, Thanksgiving night in this uh, mad rush to get right back to what our uh, nation truly celebrates by and large, and that is materialism and covetousness. And of course, materialism and covetousness is always crowding Thanksgiving, not just on the calendar, uh, but in our, own, in our own lives. And so, beginning with our uh, wanting to have this be a time where we start to think about Thanksgiving here on the, and the subject of it on the Sunday prior, uh, that it might not be something that would be good for us to do, but something that some of us may even crave uh, heading toward thanksgiving uh, in our lives. What is thankfulness? It is the proper response to a recognized blessing. It's that sense of gratitude that we feel when someone uh, gives us something and blesses us with something material or when somebody does something uh, for us. And everywhere in the Bible, 
Thankfulness is spoken of favorably. And why is that? It's because the character trait of thankfulness is always good in a human life. Always good in a human life. And you can't say that about much in life, but you can say it about thankfulness and make the statement a universal one. The absence of thankfulness in a human life is both a blemish and it's also a a defect. We can trust William Shakespeare to put it perfectly, and he did. This William Shakespeare guy, he's going to be famous someday. He had a way with words. But we can trust him to put all of this perfectly, and he did in writing. When he wrote of ingratitude, he said, I hate ingratitude more in man than lying, vainness, babbling, drunkenness, or any taint of voice whose strong corruption inhabits our frail blood. And anyone who has lived close to a person who is terminally afflicted with uh, ingratitude can bear witness to uh, the ugliness of its presence in, in any of our lives. Now, in contrast to that, I want to take a moment to consider the blessedness of a spirit of thankfulness. It's it's a blessed trait in a child of God because it blesses the heart of God himself. And just as you have any earthly father or parent, we notice whether our child says thank you or fails to thank us uh, when uh, we bless them the Lord notices the same thing about our lives and the blessings that he brings into our lives as his children. When a father gives gifts to his children, he does not hope or expect that the child will ever be able to repay uh, in kind uh, the gift that uh, he has given uh, to the child that they will be able to respond with a gift of of equal value that never ever enters into the mind of uh, 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 into his thinking he loves to bless his children as much as he's able to and his reward is never a gift of equal value but the blessing of his child's gratitude or thanksgiving to just hear from the child what this blessing or this act of grace meant to them. And when a child takes the time to express their thanksgiving for the gift, to know that the gift has blessed the child enough to engender a genuine gratitude in them, that is what a Uh, is priceless to a father. And when God blesses our lives, uh, what blesses him most is when we just stop and say thank you to him and to do so from a a grateful heart. Uh, We think of Jesus, uh, Jesus' cleansing of the ten lepers and only one of them returning to give thanks to him for the cleansing of leprosy. For the cleansing from leprosy, I mean, if you you had a a thousand lifetimes to say thank you for being cleansed of leprosy in the ancient world, 
you would think who would fail to give thanks for that? And yet nine did. And Jesus noticed the one that came and did give him thanks. And that event teaches us that Jesus notices when he's thanked by those that he has done good for. And he notices it when he isn't thanked. And it also tells us, very profoundly I think, that our thanksgiving means something to him. And what an act of grace that is. That something from me could mean something to him. And that our thanksgiving means something to him. Again, when we give gifts to our children, it is a great joy to do so within our uh, abilities. But the circle is never completed. Uh, It never uh, finds its closure without a thank you, without an expression of gratitude. And without it, uh, everything remains far less than what it, it could have been. And so too with the Lord. And so thanksgiving is good because it blesses our Lord. Thanksgiving is also good because it blesses, our, uh, blesses others. And I think surely the spirit of gratitude and thankfulness is one of the most beautiful characteristics that can adorn a, a human uh, life. The kind of person uh, who never ceases to be conscious of their blessings, never ceases to be humbled by the blessings that are in their uh, lives. And they just wear this uh, thankfulness like a fragrance in their life. It's impossible to miss related to their lives. You just can't help but notice it and the beauty of it uh, in a human life. And to be around that kind of person is, really is one of life's blessings. And they bring a beauty not only uh, into any room that they enter, but into uh, any family that they're a part of, into, the, into any relationship that they are a part of. They elevate everything around them uh, just by the sole virtue of, of thankfulness in their lives. And the reason it has this effect upon others is because to live a life that's marked by thanksgiving is to live a life like Christ himself. When he took the five loaves and the two fish to feed the 5,000, you remember he gave thanks. When he looked at the multitude of common people who were coming to him, receiving an offer of salvation, uh, blossoming under Uh, the knowledge that God cared for them as much as the Jewish religious leaders, this great mass of humanity who was overlooked by the religious establishment uh, at, at that time. And when he saw it, he prayed and he thanked the Father for it. The night before his death upon the cross, as Jesus instituted uh, communion of the Lord's Supper, uh, he gave thanks. Then he took the cup, Matthew tells us, and gave thanks, and he gave it to them. And he said, drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of a new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. When he's about to raise Lazarus from uh, the dead, uh, he expressed uh, his thanksgiving in a prayer to God the Father and praising God the Father as a uh, hearing God. 
one who heard his prayers, one who hears our uh, prayers. And on and on we could go to speak of this characteristic of thankfulness in Jesus' life. And thankfulness is simply beautiful in a human life because it is to live a life like Christ and that's the, the most beautiful life that's ever been lived in human history. Thankfulness is good because it blesses us as well. It's its own blessing. Thankfulness allows us to enjoy life in a way that we never otherwise would. Thankfulness allows us to enjoy every blessing in our life twice. The moment we are blessed by that blessing and then every time we return to that blessing with thanksgiving. Whether that is a meal, when a Christian prays and thanks God for the meal that they're about to eat, that meal becomes far more to them than what it would uh, be otherwise. I'm not just going to put fuel in my body now for nourishment, but I'm going to enjoy a meal as a gift from God. I'm going to enjoy this meal with God, and, and I'm going to enjoy it in celebration of His provision within my life. And, and I'm going to enjoy it with a heart that is filled with thanksgiving, that never loses its consciousness of the miracle that every meal is in our lives. But it's not just a meal, a walk. You say, thank you, Lord, for the strength and the health to take this walk. I know there are many people who have neither the strength nor the health to walk, and I do. Thank you for that or drive through the countryside, or a vacation, or when our car starts in the morning, or you lay your head down on the pillow at night to sleep, and we thank God for that pillow. We thank God for that mattress, knowing there's a whole world of people that have neither a pillow nor a mattress. And on and on we could go to speak of sunsets and sunrises and family and friends and church. Good things are made even better when we recognize that they come from Him and then we can enjoy them with Him. And what a quality thankfulness to God adds to life. There's another quote that speaks to an absence of this in a person's life that is um, very strong in its truth. One man wrote, the worst moment for the atheist is when he's really thankful and has no one to thank. That's heavy. Engages this world filled with uncountable blessings given to us by God and no capacity for thanksgiving for it. What a small, small, tiny um, withered life that would be in comparison to a life of thanksgiving. I don't say that as a cheap shot, but because it's true, and I really pity the person who has, hasn't given God that place in their life to be able to thank Him for the blessings He lavishes upon them, even in their unbelief. And thanksgiving just doubles the pleasure of every blessing in life. The Holy Spirit tells us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, in everything gives thanks. 
This tells us that there must be blessings in our life as Christians that are constants, that are immovable, they're unchanging in our lives. And, and that there are blessings in our lives that lie beyond the reach of anything in life to remove them from our lives, from any circumstance in life, whether the circumstance is international or national, or whether it's local, or whether it is uh, in a, a family or in our own personal lives. And we do. I don't know of a better place to prime the pump in terms of thanksgiving in our lives than where the Apostle Paul does in Ephesians chapter 1. You might turn there if you'd like. And here in that chapter and on into chapter 2, he lays out all of these blessings that we have in our lives as Christians uh, that are ours in Christ Jesus and, and all of them ours because of our faith in Christ in Him. There's an old hymn. I... I, I I appreciate the hymn. Um, the, I don't sing it, but I appreciate the title and the chorus so much in this regard, and it constantly comes to my mind related to this, this theme. And it's that famous old hymn entitled, Count Your Blessings. And the author wrote in 1897, when, uh, uh, when upon life's billows you are tempted tossed. When you are discouraged, thinking all is lost, count your many blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord hath done. And the chorus goes, count your blessings, name them one by one, count your blessings, see what God hath uh, done. And the Apostle Paul writes these blessings in that chapter. He writes these blessings while in a Roman prison. The book of Ephesus, the book to the Ephesians, he writes when he is in Roman imprisonment. And when he writes of these things, he is writing of these constants within our lives as Christians, these causes for thanksgiving that always lie beyond the reach of life circumstances. Even when the circumstances involve coming against all of the power and the might of the Roman Empire, at its height, and yet he found reason to give thanks. And if it was good for the Apostle Paul to do, it certainly can't do us any harm. In verse 4 of that chapter, Paul tells us that we've been chosen by God before the foundation of the earth. In other words, our salvation is a part of his plan that reaches all the way back into eternity behind us, but it also reaches... Uh, uh, or reaches the eternity before us, but it also reaches back before the foundation of the world. In other words, we are blessed with a salvation that is more sure and more secure than we could ever hope or dream. And in fact, our salvation is so sure and secure that in chapter 2, Paul talks about us uh, uh, seeing us already seated in the heavenly places. In verse 5, Paul, Paul declares that we've been adopted uh, by God. I don't know who would adopt you today. I don't know how, who would adopt me. So often adoptions occur uh, before the personality is unveiled. 
We don't give you a chance at the terrible twos or the seven-year-old or 13-year-old. The adoption happens before the real us begins to unfold most of the time. And God, when He saved us and adopted us, we were well on our way to being quite unadoptable by anybody else. Who else would take us on, let alone make us a part of their family and give us the privilege, as God has done, of calling Him uh, Father? He says in verse 6 that we've been accepted in the Beloved because of Jesus We are an accepted people. And how tragic it is today, it is heartbreaking for me today to look at the world all around us, especially in the Western world, especially in the United States, even within the Western world, and how tragic it has become since the advent of social media to see all of this just open uh, expression of craving on the part of so many people, craving acceptance from other people, and what people are willing to do to try and get acceptance from other people, to earn acceptance from other people. And here we have acceptance from God. We don't have to prove ourselves to God. We don't have to constantly try and earn His acceptance. We already have it. And then in verse 7, we have redemption through Jesus' blood. To use a a modern terminology, we would say we've been liberated. Once we were slaves of ourselves, our selfishness, we were slaves of our sin, and Jesus has liberated us from not a nuisance in our life. We were not a nuisance to ourselves. Our sin was not a nuisance to ourselves ourselves. It was something that took us into severe bondage. And the redemption, the freedom that we've received through Jesus' blood, as Jesus said, therefore, if the Son makes you free, we shall be free indeed. Think about the freedom in in the privacy of your own heart. Think about the freedom you enjoy as a human being that you would never have known apart from Christ. I know we're growing in freedom. I know we'll grow in Christ-likeness until we're in heaven one day. But we are not what we once were, and we are not in the same bondage that we once were. It is a tremendous thing to be redeemed by Jesus through His blood. And then in verses 7 and 8, we have the forgiveness of sins. We're forgiven people. And our past has been cleansed and it's been forgiven. I do not have to live tormented by the sins of my past. And I would live tormented by the sins of my past. Apart from God's forgiveness and how complete it is. Now don't think that I'm some extraordinary uh, sinner. There are no bodies buried in the backyard or anything like that. But sometimes you can just have a tender conscience and a smaller thing can be something or something that somebody else would look at and just brush off. And yet, for how God has made us, that would be something that would torment us for the rest of our lives. And our past has been forgiven and our sin has been separated from us as far as the east is from the west. 
We're also a mystery-knowing people, Paul said in verses 9 and 10. Think about this. We know the origin of the heavens and the earth. We know the reason why the world is in the mess that it's in, why it's so broken, why it, it is so fallen, and it's because of sin. We know the origin of death in the human condition, what happens after death. We know how to prepare for death. We know how to be saved. We know how the world ends. Think about the peace that that brings into our lives. We know the meaning and the purpose of life. We know what God is like, and on and on it goes. All of these things, we wouldn't know the answer to any of those things apart from God's revelation to us. And think about the quality of peace and confidence and joy and gratitude that knowing these things produces in our lives on a daily basis that we're not even aware that they're the byproduct of what we know from God and we operate from on a daily basis. And without the answers to these questions, we would be forced to live fundamentally ignorant lives, animal-like lives. And then he said in verses 13 and 14 that we've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. God has put His mark of ownership on us by filling us with His Holy Spirit. I <laughs> I'm glad the Holy Spirit is as gracious and perfect and so forth as every other part of the Godhead as Jesus and the Father, but I never take for granted that the Holy Spirit came into my life as a Christian and the marvel that that is. I don't think he said yuck before he entered in, but he would have had every right to. And so it is related to all of our lives. God Almighty and the person of the Holy Spirit has come into our lives. And we could go on and on into the rest of chapter 1 and into chapter 2 because there's so much to be thankful for and it's these things that make a person truly rich in life. And all of these priceless blessings are ours because of Jesus' blood, because of his sacrifice on Calvary for us. True story. While on a short missions uh, trip, Pastor Jack Hinton was leading worship at a leper colony on the island of Tobago. And a woman who had been facing away from the pulpit during the service uh, turned around and she looked at him face to face and he said, it was the most hideous face I had ever seen. And Hinton said, uh, and the woman's nose and ears were entirely gone. She lifted a fingerless hand in the air and asked, can we sing Count Your Many Blessings? And Hinton became so overwhelmed with emotion uh, that he left the service. And he was followed by a, a team member who said, I guess you'll never be able to sing that song again. And he said, yes, I will, but I'll never sing it the same way. And here you have this woman who possessed a, recognized that she had causes for thanksgiving that lay beyond the reach 
of anything and everything in this world and beyond the circumstances of this world. Concerning all of this, this theme of thankfulness, I've been grateful for something that came across my path. I don't know how, I don't know where or when, I don't know the source of it or anything about its origin, but it came across my path some 25, 30 years ago. And I've always appreciated the place that it has played in fashioning my understanding of thanksgiving and the place of thanksgiving in my life. And I'd like to read it to you and uh, read it as it was uh, originally uh, written. Behold, the preacher mounted the pulpit, and to him a hundred faces looked up. And they were as the sons of earth, eight billion faces captured in a hundred. And the preacher placed a lozenge on his tongue so that his voice became sweet and oily. And smiling the smile of those who see but do not understand, he said, let us give thanks. And a hundred voices murmured, amen. And there was no joy in that amen. Let us give thanks, said the preacher, for the wholeness of our bodies, for the legs that walk and run, for ears that hear the song of the birds, for eyes that see beauty and flower, for earth and sky, for arms that envelop and hands that hold. And sadly, without a word, there arose blind men and deaf, men crippled and paralyzed, and those who had lost a limb. Behold, ten made their way out of that church. But the preacher continued and said, let us give thanks for our health, for lungs breathing in soft air, for enjoyment of food and drink, for the firm tone of skin that radiates soundness. And there arose and departed those with TB and leprosy and cancer, those who knew no food but hot milk and that taken with pain. And behold, 10 more left the congregation. But the preacher continued his rhapsody and said, let us give thanks for the earthly benefits, the comforts of this world, the rivers of wealth that this fruitful world has bestowed upon us. And there departed of the poor who had seen their children die of malnutrition and their parents of the cold, ten more. But the preacher, his eyes raised and in riveted contemplation of comfortable thoughts, saw none of this. And he said, let us give thanks for home and hearth for the families in which we dwell. And there departed out of the congregation the dispossessed, the refugee, the old man from the welfare home, and the young girl who had disgraced the family name, in all ten more. And the preacher persisted and said, let us give thanks for our friends. And from the congregation there arose forgotten men from lonely corners of large cities, the painfully shy who eat nightly in cheap restaurants alone, the isolated who dwell on farms five miles from a a neighbor, and all who by their fellows are considered odd or of the wrong race or wrong background, and quietly there slipped away ten more. But the preacher, drawing from his lozenge, comfort and unction, said, Let us give thanks for our beauty. Surely no supernatural beauty, for we are but humble men. But that which makes us graceful and gracious and good to be with. And Sally, who knew her chin receded, and George, whose eyes were crossed, and Greg, who was bald, and Lewis, who had piano legs, and six more with them arose and departed that place. And yet still the preacher spoke. 
Let us give thanks for our wonderful minds through which we understand art and science, literature and history, and probe the most profound mysteries of the universe. And several people of average intelligence blushed, and the moron looked bewildered, and an imbecile stared blankly. But they all arose, ten of them, and walked to the door. But the preacher, without a glance downward, almost sang as he said, let us give thanks for our virtues that make the path of life pleasant as if it be decked by flowers. And there were those who were tortured by bad tempers, racked by jealousy, stabbed by envy, made miserable by thwarting in their potency to love, and ten more who were no more part of the congregation. But the preacher spoke on, saying, let us give thanks for justice. And a Jew from Cairo, and and an Arab from the Negev, a black from Mississippi, and all those deprived of recourse to law, medicine, and education, ten in number left. But the preacher said, let us give thanks for peace. And there departed ten more, victims of wars declared and undeclared. And then, The preacher looked out on his congregation. There was no one there. And his lozenge had melted and there was no more sweetness or oiliness to his voice. And he cried out and his voice cracked. Oh Lord, my Lord, where have they gone? And behold, a voice spoke from heaven, a still small voice. And it said, For thou hast exalted what I have not promised. And since the heart of man knows easily the taste of bitterness... They've departed thy congregation. When have I promised thee wholeness of body, health, or early comf- uh, earthly comforts? When have I promised thee unbroken bonds with family or friends? When have I promised thee possession of beauty, intelligence, or virtue? When have I told thee that in this world you'll always know justice and peace? Remember my servant Job? Remember my son Jesus? When have I promised an easy lot for the sons of men, even the Christian sons of men? And the preacher cried out, O Lord, what then will thou give us? And the voice replied, Myself. And the preacher ran to the doorway of the church, and there sitting in the shadows of its great pillars and lofty spires, mute with eyes cast down, were the hundred and whose eyes could be seen, the eyes of eight billion. And the preacher took out his box of lozenges and hurled them into outer darkness, and he cried with a cracked but human cry, Oh, my friends, I've deceived you. We may have health, we may have friends, we may have justice, but all we are sure of is God. Of old it was said by Job, though he slay me, yet I will trust him. And later in his dying, Jesus, our Savior, spoke to his Father and said, Into thy hands I commit my spirit. For this is all that is sure, that God gives to us himself. And this is all that ultimately counts. And a blind man wept, and a friendless man grasped his neighbor's hand. The black man from Mississippi knew that his struggles were worthwhile, and they all came back inside. Behold, the preacher mounted his pulpit, and to him a hundred faces looked up. And the preacher said, let us give thanks that God himself is with us, world without end. And a hundred voices cried out, Amen. And there was joy in heaven. 
When Paul writes to the church at Ephesus and he says, in everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Giving thanks is one step beyond being thankful. It is the expression of thanks. And so this morning I'd like to invite the worship team out in order to close our service with a little bit of time spent in worship and not only having our hearts filled with thanksgiving, but also now the opportunity to then speak that thanksgiving to God in song and in praise. And again, in order that it might be the priming of the pump of our heart concerning this great reality called thanksgiving for the expression of it, the noticing of it, the appreciation uh, of the blessing of it in the week that lies uh, before us and on through Thanksgiving Day and on through uh, a lifetime of Thanksgiving. So Mike, would you lead us in worship?